Today we want to look at the end times and study and look at what we call, let me give you a big, uh, uh, a big word, okay? It's called eschatology. You write that down. It, it works for when you leave. What did you learn in church today? Oh, I, learned eschatolo- I learned about eschatology, right? <laughs> Makes you sound like, you sound very smart and very intelligent. Eschatology is, it's really the study of last things. Uh, eschatos is a Greek word, which just means last or final. And eschatology is the study of the final things, the end times, okay? And, and when you talk about the end times, it does a lot of things to people. Like you get, some people are freaked out. I don't want to talk about it. 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 Right? Like just freaked out. Don't even want to think about it, right? You've got that end of things. You've got people that are just all hyper into it. It's all they want to talk about. You know, like, well, I learned this. I studied that. And, right? And, but then you have a lot of different opinions about the end times. It seems like everybody has an opinion about Everyone has their own eschatology of, as to what's going to happen. You got Hollywood, right? Hollywood's, Hollywood's done their fair share of, of letting us know what's going to happen in, in the end days. So you've got Hollywood's attempt all the way down to the guy on the street corner with the bullhorn, right? Like yelling at everybody. He's got his own ideas of what, what is going to happen. And matter of fact, that guy's always like, the end is now and repent. It's very, what are those guys that, that sometimes the, don't quite get the heart of the gospel, like, it's like a cry or fry, turn or burn, right? Like, yeah, I don't think that that's how God would say it. But nonetheless, everyone has their own, their own, own uh, take on end times events. So Hollywood's given us a lot. Like, come on, help me out. What, what's, what's a Hollywood movie that comes to mind talking about the end times? Ready? Come on, give them all to me right now. Really loud so I can hear you. Come on. Independence Day, Terminator, Armageddon, right, right. There's everyone, like, and they're kind of interesting. There's, some of us have some great symptoms. Does anyone remember uh, the Left Behind series? Oh, yeah. Come on, right? Like, come on, Tatum lifted her hand. She's like, yeah, I, I was freaking out, right? Get it? But didn't you tell me a story? You went downstairs and your parents weren't home and you thought they got raptured, so you were freaking out. And yeah, so those movies were developed to scare the hell out of your children, literally, so they would be connected into heaven. And it worked for Tatum. She... She knows Jesus today because of Left Behind series. Um, 2012 was another one. So 2012 was a movie based on uh, the Mayan calendar. Did anyone ever see 2012? Uh, I I watched the previews of it just in preparation for this because I thought it was interesting. They they based it on, I'm actually, I thought it was a pretty cool preview. I might go watch it. I love that. I love watching stuff blow up. You know, it's a guy movie. Something's going to blow up. Let's watch that. Uh, it's very realistic, yeah. Isn't it funny? Girls want to watch people fall in love. Guys want to watch something blow up. Like, just give me a 2012. So 2012 was based on the Mayan calendar. The Mayan calendar is a 5,000, over 5,000-year-old 5, calendar. And that calendar, the Mayan calendar, had uh, the, the last date in that Mayan calendar was December 21st, 2012. So there's all sorts of speculation that the Mayans were predicting the end of the world. And so... There was a lot of talk about 20, uh, 2012. The movie came out talking about the Mayan calendar just before 2012 to help with all the hype on the end of the world. And a lot of people thought the world was going to end in, in 2012. And we're still all here, everybody. And so it turns out that we misread the Mayan calendar. And if you were around in June, 20, in June of this last year, that got picked back up. Like, everybody, we misread the Mayan calendar. Actually, they were trying to show us that the world is going to end on June 21st, 2020. And so that actually trended. That tre- it did end on that, that actually trended on, uh, on Twitter. It was trending into the world, you know, June 20. 
June, I think it was June 21st of, of 2020, and a lot of people were leaning into that, a lot of speculation, and we're all still here, and uh, time is still moving, moving forward. Anyone remember Y2K? Come on, like, some of you youngies are like, I wasn't even born yet, but Y2K, for sure the world was going to end, right? Like, because... Not only do we have biblical prophecy, we, we messed some things up. You see, we've made these things called computers, but we weren't looking forward and thinking ahead. And so when we did dates, we only used two digits to save room on our, on our chips. And so instead of, instead of, you know, 1975, it was just 75. Well, we all started realizing that once we hit the year 2000, the computers are all going to think it's the 1900s, you know, it's all zero, zero. And it, it, the world is literally going to melt down. We, everything is going to stop. You're laughing, but we all have friends. If it wasn't you, it was a very close friend that bought a lot of grain, right? <laughs> and bought a, bought a lot of toilet paper. You think the toilet paper supply was low during COVID. Oh, you should have seen Y2K bug. Like, man, it was, it was a whole thing. And uh, come on, I, we, Tate and I have a friend who bought a lot of guns and, and told us, this gal, she told us that if it goes down, she taught us like how you're supposed to, anyway, how you live through it. But if we really got desperate, we can go to her house and she was going to give us a password to get in. If we don't have the password, we would be shot on sight. So <laughs> wow. 20, that's, that's the year 2000 for you. Well, everyone, a lot of you remember where you were in the year 2000. Uh, December 31st is my birthday. I had to find a way to kind of get that in there so you know. You buy me gifts. December 31st, my birthday. My mom wanted a tax break, so they kind of had to work that out as best they could to get me in. Moving into 2000 from 1999, it's my birthday. It's the end of the world, obviously. So I invite my parents over, and we did what Normans do to welcome in the new year and the end of the world. I, uh, I set up my half stack on the back of my, uh, out on my balcony, and we have a, back then Tate and I were living in Newport and we were, it, you could see Hogue Hospital over here. The 55 freeway ended right below us and the beach was over here, had an ocean view. And, and so literally it was a, you're reaching thousands of people from our balcony. Um, and so we set up a half stack and turned it all the way up. And my dad, when it was like the last 60 seconds of, of the world's existence, he played Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> It's like waiting for the world to melt down in typical Norman fashion, right? Something was duct taped somewhere, I know for sure. But that's how we welcomed in the end of the world. And yet, we are still all here. But friends, it's interesting to me. I think people are starting to realize, you know, we come up with all these theories. Hollywood presents. Uh, we're... These ideas, we're, we're really interested in end-time things. And I, I think it's because we all realize that things just can't keep going the way, the way they have been going or the way they are going, you know. This is just growing awareness. And so lots of people are asking lots of questions. Matter of fact, when, we went, when COVID hit and we shut things down in March, March, April, do you know what was one of the most um, Googled Googles, <laughs> is this the end of the earth? Is this the end of the world? Is this the end days? Is this, what does the Bible say? What is, it's all about prophecy and Bible 
uh, Bible prophecy and end times, people are very, very interested. We are all watching the same news. And you just got to think, like, where is this all going? Is this the end days? We see wars, terrorism, there's mass shootings. You got, you got the pandemic of COVID-19. You're watching immorality accelerate at, at, at speeds it feels like a, we've never seen before. And you, people start to wonder. They begin to ask questions. Matter of fact, a poll done by CNN and Time magazine showed that one in three Americans connect current uh, world events to biblical end-time prophecy. Isn't that interesting? I don't believe the Bible, but the stuff's probably in it, right? <laughs> like, this is, probably, this is probably in there somewhere, and the Bible probably has something to say about it. So lots of opinions, lots of ideas out there. But here's what you need to know. I'll give you this. And if you want to get up and go home and not spend the next 20 minutes with me, you're welcome to. Please stay. But it's just... Spoil alert, here's what you need to know. In the end, God wins, everybody. That's what you need to know. In the end, here's why that's really good news for those of you that are believers today. Because in the end, God gets the last word. So that means that whatever you're facing today does not get the last word. That means that the pain you're facing today does not get the last word. It means cancer doesn't get the last word. It means your money getting funny doesn't get the last word. God gets the last word. In the end, God reigns. In the end, God rules. In the end, listen, you and I, believer, are anchored into a certainty that our good God and King is going to rule a good kingdom in which there will be peace. The Bible says that he will wipe every tear from every eye. That death will be no more and sickness will be no more. Friends, listen, that is some good news. Somebody say amen. Amen? Spoiler alert, God wins. He gets the last word. And I need you to be encouraged by that today. And no matter what you're in the middle of, you could always lift your eye to the fact that we are on a timeline, a vine timeline, a prophetic timeline. And things are clicking ahead just as God has planned. Everything before has happened, everything he has predicted will happen. And you could rest assured of that today. So here's what I want you to understand. When it comes to eschatology, the study of end times, biblically, at the center of biblical eschatology is what we call the second coming of Christ. I want to spend the rest of our time quickly talking to you about the second coming of Christ because this is what most of biblical eschatology points to is the second coming of Jesus. I want to talk to you about what we do know. I want to talk to you about what we don't know. And then I want to tell you what we do with what we don't know and do know, okay? <laughs> what do we do with all of this together? So first of all, let's look at what we do know. He's coming back. John, come on, everybody. You get excited about that. He's coming back. John, let me show it to you in scripture. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture today, so get ready to take notes. John 14, 1 through 3, it says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. <laughs> I love that. God just knew your hearts are a little troubled. Okay? And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Okay, okay, Jesus, give me some hope. Here's what it is. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to go prepare a place for you? He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Not I might, not I may, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. 
Jesus is saying, listen, you could count on this 100% certainty. I am coming again. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible deal with end-time events, second coming of Christ. 216 chapters in the New Testament deal with end-time events. Over 300 references in the New in, in, or 216 chapters in the New Testament and over 300 references. Watch this. 23 of the 27 New Testament books deal with end-time events. And when the Bible talks about something a lot, it's because he wants you to pay a lot of attention to this, okay? Um, a lot of us don't realize how prevalent end-time um, prophecy is in Scripture. If you took all of prophetic word, it's going to deal with uh, the nation of Israel. It's going to deal with the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. I need you to understand something. 85% of biblical prophecy has already been fulfilled. 85% has happened with 100% certainty. That 85%, a lot of it pointed to the first coming of, of Jesus, okay? So you got a picture. There were people like us reading their Bible, uh, and they were reading about this coming of a, of a Messiah, this coming of, 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 of a Savior. And these biblical prophecies were, had not yet happened. Well, friends, we have the privilege of hindsight, and we see, well, now they have happened. And when we added up 85% of biblical prophecies already taken place. Well, if 85% of biblical prophecy of what this Bible says about what was going to happen, what is going to happen, has already happened, what do you think is going to happen with the next 15%? Like if 85% has happened with 100% certainty, I can guarantee you with 100% certainty that the next 15% is going to happen with 100% certainty. You can be certain that what we read in Scripture about what is going to happen will happen. His first coming, right? assures us of his second coming. I can be as sure of his second coming as much as I am in the fact that I can read about his first coming. That Jesus walked this planet, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, right? Preached in Jerusalem. Like, I can look at those facts and hold on to that fact just as much as I can those. Is everyone following me so far, okay? Here's what we know for sure. He is coming back. When you look at biblical end times, there's a lot of events, um, a lot of different events surrounding end time events. So let me give you a few so you understand. We're not, you could do a whole series on end time events, but just so you understand a couple of these, these uh, major moments in the end times, okay? So there is a moment that we call the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 54. The rapture of the church is when the church, those who belong to Jesus, are going to be caught up to meet with Jesus in the sky. The Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, right, we'll be caught up to meet with the Lord. So there is the rapture of the church that will happen. There is also what we call the tribulation period. The tribulation period is a, we believe it's a seven-year period where um, God is pouring out his judgment on a God-rejecting world. 
okay? So we got rapture of the church, and we also, um, we also have the tribulation period. There's a lot of debate as to when the rapture of the church is going to happen. Like, there's the rapture of the church, they call it, so you have tribulation. This is my, I'm, you often don't know what I'm doing with my hands up here. I have all sorts of things happening in my hands up. This is a timeline. Like, for you, it would be going this way, so timeline, right? And so you have, on this timeline, there's going to be a rapture, right? And there's going to be a tribulation. A lot of people don't know where the rapture is. Is it before the tribu- this tribulation? Before the tribulation? So before, is it in the middle of the tribulation? Is it after the tribulation? Where is this, where is this rapture of the church? What we all agree on is it's going to happen. And I can tell you, friends, we can all go to the same church and disagree on when this is going to happen, okay? Because it's not a, it's not a, if you believe this wrong, you're not saved. It's not a salvation issue. It's just a kind of that's interesting issue, right? If you were to ask me personally from my reading of, of scripture and you wanted my opinion, and that's what it is. It's just my, as much as I can, biblical opinion is that the church rapture is the next thing to happen in the timeline of, of biblical prophecy. One of the reasons I would point you to that is the tribulation. The tribulation is a time where God is pouring out his judgment on a God-rejecting world, okay? God pouring out his judgment on earth. Well, m- the judgment against my sin was poured out on Jesus, okay? And so why would there be a double kind of... Uh, you know, double dose of judgment. My judgment has been poured out on Jesus. I'm forgiven. God wouldn't then put me in a spot where he's going to pour out a judgment again. I believe in, in a, a pre-trib rapture of the church. Um, and guess what? You could not believe that. That's okay. Um, it's kind of fun to look into those things and get excited about those things. And, but I like to think that the next thing I'm looking for is not the Antichrist, right, but Jesus Christ. Like I, I just like, I think that God wants us ready for his soon arrival. The Bible says that he's going to come as a thief in the night. Just, you don't even know. It's just, right? And so I believe that that's what's next on the timeline. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I love, some, so this is called, this is called um, pre-tribulation. There's uh, pre-trib, there's post-trib, there's me-trib, uh, pre-trib, post-trib, and mid-trib. And then some people are just like, it's like pan, pan-trib, like it's all going to pan out. It's just pan, they call it pan-theology. It's all going to pan out. We'll figure it out. Um, and so you can hang there. So we have the rapture of the church. We have the tribulation period. We have the rise of the Antichrist. The rise of the Antichrist is going to be a world leader. The Antichrist will be a world leader who will, a lot of people don't understand this, the Antichrist is actually going to bring peace. He's going to bring peace for a long time. Matter of fact, uh, to my understanding from what it looks like, and, and uh, I agree with a lot of uh, uh, people who study eschatology, is that he will bring, he'll be a world leader that will bring peace for about three and a half years. So the tribulation period is seven years. For half that time, three and a half years, this leader will bring peace to Jerusalem and to the, to the Jews and to that whole area. Do you realize that the world is watching Jerusalem. The world is watching what's happening there with the dome of the mosque and the temple and all of it. The Bible predicted. Think about how accurate the Bible is. You guys, thousands of years before this moment, the Bible said that whole area is always going to be a turning for the world. Like the world's just going to go, oh, what's happening there now? The Bible told us that that, that would always be the case. That there, there would constantly be wars and fighting and all of this. Well, it's, the, it's actually the Antichrist. We believe that it's going to bring peace to that region and those people. All the different, you know, religions there are going to have their part in this thing. And he will bring peace as a world leader for, for three and a half years. Somewhere in the middle of that three and a half year period, the Jews are going to realize 
First, they're going to think that he's their Messiah. Then they're going to realize that he's not their Messiah because of something he does. And they end up running from, running from uh, Jerusalem. A lot of people don't realize that whoever the Antichrist is going to be, uh, he's going to probably be of some kind of Jewish lineage. He's going to need to be. Because the Jews are actually going to think that he's their Messiah. So it's so funny. I'm, I'm letting you guys just, you, I'm, I'm giving you ammo. So when people are like, Trump's the Antichrist. Well, <laughs> here's the problem. Or whoever they might say is the Antichrist. If they don't have some kind of Jewish descent, the Jews probably are not going to look at that person as their Messiah. The Jews are going to think that this Antichrist in the beginning is a Messiah. Okay? So, everyone follow. I'm, just, I'm up here just talking to you about end time events. Okay? Just, just, just sort of following my notes, but also just kind of talking to you. If that's okay. Is that okay? Okay, good. Four people say it's okay. That means I need to move on. All right, so we've got, we've got the rapture of the church. We've got the rise of the Antichrist. We've got the tribulation period. All of it is going to culminate in what we call the Battle of Armageddon, right? And, and if you've been there to Jerusalem, you get to go and look at the Valley of Megiddo where this war is going to someday take place. It's where the Antichrist is coming up against the Jewish people. And Jesus will show up and put an end to that battle. Okay, And as he does, he will then step into a new heaven and a new earth where he will rule and reign. He will establish his kingdom forever. Rapture of the church, rise of the Antichrist, tribulation period, battle of Armageddon. The return of Jesus Christ physically to establish a new heaven and a new earth. All of those things swirl around in what we call end time events. And we can sift through all of them and try to look at where they fit on this timeline. But what you need to know for our purposes today is 85% of prophecy has already happened. The next 15 is going to happen. And at the end of the day, what you need to understand is that Jesus Christ is coming back and God wins. Amen? Okay? That's what we know. That's what we know. And you could rest in that. You just rest in that. Here's what we don't know. What we don't know is when. And people will try all the time to pick dates and determine uh, the time in which the end time events are going to happen. Are we living in the last days? Jesus always talked about the last days. And so the, the, his disciples were like, okay, well, when? Right? Like, I would ask Jesus if he's always talking about it. I'd want to know when. And so Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately. They said, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus goes on, and he starts to talk about what looks a lot like our world today where there will be wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. And he goes on and on in Matthew. But what I want you to see is this part right here, Matthew 24. He finally says this, but about the day and the hour, no one knows. Who knows, everybody? No one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So... When somebody tells you, I know when the end of the world is, and, and here's the date, and they've done the math, and they've read the Mayan calendar, and they had some biblical thing that they looked at and did this and added that, and they came to a number, you can look at them and say, 
you don't know. And then they say, how do you know I don't know? I say, like, because listen, God the Father says he hasn't even told Jesus, okay? And if he hasn't told Jesus, I don't think he told you, right? So you don't know. No one knows when the end is going to happen. We, we know that he's coming back, but none of us actually know when. So personally, as best I can tell, and I'll give you a couple solid reasons on it. As best I could tell, I actually do believe we are living in the last days. <laughs> I could tell you this, this generation is closer than the last generation, amen? Like, but I do believe we're living in the last days. And you say to yourself, you're like, Chris, every generation thought that. Everyone, well, there's part of me that says good. Like there's, there's an attitude we need to have where we're ready. And you need to be ready. Matthew chapter 24 says this, so you also must what? Be ready. You must also, say it with me, be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when <laughs> you do not expect him. I love how scripture does this to us. He's like, when are you going to come? When you don't expect him. So if you're in a season when you're expecting it, it's going to happen now, it's going to happen now. He's like, that's not when I'm coming. It's not going to happen when you expect it. It's the moment you, when you, when you don't expect him. When the Bible talks about how we can look at seasons and we can kind of feel the season, but the day or the hour, no one actually knows. You can never expect that perfectly or know that, know that perfectly. But our job is just to be ready. Now, I do believe that we have seen a lot line up prophetically uh, that leaves the end time events as the only other things that need to happen in, in biblical prophecy, meaning we can, we're continuing to see more and more biblical prophecy fulfilled. Uh, the Jews becoming a nation again in 1948 was a biblical prophecy that needed to happen. And then, well, let me give you another one that's pretty interesting. It says this in Matthew chapter 24. It says this, it says in the gospel, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Notice that there. It says the gospel is going to be preached as a testimony to all nations and then, what's he say, and then the end will come. Follow me here. When's the end going to come? Well, when the gospel has been preached to all the nations. Now, the word nations there isn't physical boundary. It literally means people group. So when this gospel has been preached to every people group, then the end's going to come. I want you to know, look at me, everybody. This generation, our generation, is the only generation that's ever been able to say that the gospel has now been preached to every people group. We have, through technology that we have today, been able to identify new people groups. Can you believe it? On our planet, because of, you know, our technology. We have, like, Google Earth and everything. We can look down and go, oh, my goodness, there's little tribes living all up and down this lake in the, in the middle of Africa that we didn't even know about. We, we are sending missionaries there that learn culture, learn to communicate, and, and, and preaching gospel to them. A lot of them are using... Uh, an old film called the, the Jesus Film Project and showing the Jesus Film Project, seeing people come to Jesus in mass, uh, mass numbers and starting churches in these little villages that we didn't even know existed 40 years ago. And on our watch, in our generation, we can now say, because we could see the whole globe digitally, we could see every people group digitally, that we have now preached the gospel and bringing the gospel to every people group across our globe. Well, Wow. Because the Bible says when that happens, then the end will come. Okay. 
They were never able to say that. We're the first generation that's ever been able to say that the gospel's been preached to the ends of the earth, to every tribe and every tongue. Can I get a better amen? Second Peter gives us these signs. Second Peter chapter, or Second Timothy, I'm sorry, it's because Second Timothy chapter three, verse one through three. Why, reasons why I believe we are in the end times. So gospels preached to all people groups. And look at this. It says, mark this. He's talking about what's going to be happening in the end times. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Okay. What does it look like? People will be lovers of themselves. Is that our world today? I don't know if there's any other way to describe our world today. A lot of it, then people will be lovers of themselves. Lover of money? Check, right? Boastful? Check. Proud? Check. Like, look at this list. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Ungrateful. Man, I don't want to pick on a generation. I won't pick on a generation, but I will a little bit. I think this, there's one of the most ungrateful, right? Don't realize what they or we have been given and just expecting more. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not lovers of the good. I mean, this is playing out in front of our, like if you could take the temperature of our, of our world. Treacherous. Rash. Conceited, go and do a Bible study in every single one of these words. And then go read or watch what's happening in the world around you right now. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of, of God. Guys, this is the temperature. He says, this is what it's going to look like when you're in the last days. When you're in those moments. And friends, it feels and looks a whole lot like what we're in right now. Now, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I'm not, like, it's just reality. It is dark. But, friends... It's in the darkness that the light shines even brighter. Amen? So I'm not saying, oh, it's all dark and everything. It's, it's our moment to shine. It's our moment to shine all the brighter. Matter of fact, we need to shine all the brighter. You know why? <laughs> A lot of people ask, why is it taking so long? Like, why, if, if he is coming and the 85% has been fulfilled, the next 15 is going to be, like, why, like, why doesn't it just happen? Like, right now, let's go. Why is it taking so long? Can I give you an answer to that? And why we need to shine brighter all the more. It goes on to say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-10, through 10, it says, Above all, it says, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They're going to say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Where is this end of the world times? Where are, where are these end time events? It says, but they deliberately forget that long ago God's word, God's, that by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water and by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. These people who are saying, where is the second coming? Where is this prophecy that the Bible's speaking of? He says, hey, don't you forget, you're talking about God who spoke heaven and earth into existence. You're talking about God who brought land up out of the water and then used that water to bring about a flood. You're talking about God who, he's in complete 
control. It's not like he's unable to bring about these events. You need to keep that in mind. Because, see, the reason it's taking so long, he goes on to say, is this. By the same word, he presented the heavens and the earth and reserved them for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. The same God who spoke the heavens and the earth in existence also has spoken over the fact that he's going to hit reset on planet earth someday. Why is he not doing it? Well, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some consider slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is God not just pulling the trigger? Because he's going, I just love people so much. I want to see, right? More people anchored into heaven. More people experience salvation. More people experience hope. More people find Christ. More people reached in and through the church. God's going, I just want to see more lost kids come home. You guys, he's given us a window of time to reach the world. His heart right now, the reason, the only reason he's not pulling the trigger is because he's just in love with people. And the window of opportunity we have to reach people is is closing. Someday it will be closed. Someday God with a broken heart will hit reset on this planet. Between now and then we got a closing window of time to see more people come to know him. And he is giving us as much time as he could possibly bear. So we've got to take advantage of this time. What we know is he's coming. What we don't know is when. I put another verse in here. It's not for the screen. I don't have it for the screen, but I wrote it in here before I came up. First Thessalonians 5, 2, and 6. It says this, The day of the Lord will come, how? Like a thief in the night. Like a thief in the night. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us stay awake. Come on, wake up, right? Wake up, like, hey, hey, the end is near. Wake up, like, hey, we don't got a lot of time. The window's closing. He is coming. We don't know when, but it's gonna be soon. And we just talked about how the gospel has now been preached to everybody and the world's temperature is, I mean, this is, it's go time, everybody. And so that's what we know is coming. What we don't know is when. I want to talk to you in these last moments together about what do we do with what we do know and what we don't know. What do we do? Seize the day. Friend, I, I personally think we're close. And we can get all geeked out on the timelines and most recent predictions. But listen to 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. 1 Chronicles 12, 32 says this. There's a tribe in Ishkar. There were 200 leaders of the tribe with the relatives. It says that these men all understood the signs of the time and they knew the best course for Israel to take. We need to be those people, amen? Where we understand the signs of the time. Like, look at the signs of the time. Matter of fact, when Jesus often talked about the end times, he said, no one knows the day or the hour, but you can know the season. Like, pay attention to the season. I believe we're in that season. And because we're in that season, we need to know the best course to take. First Peter 4 walks us through the best course to take, and this stuff is so practical. Here's what we do. First of all, guys, we're going to love on. We're go- first of all, we're going to, first point before this is fix our eyes on home. Here's the first thing you do. You need to fix your eyes on home. 
Let's look at 1 Peter 4, giving us insight what we do in the end days. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and have sober mind that you may pray. It's the end times. His second coming is closer now than it's ever been. What do we do? He says, you, friend, be alert and be sober and keep yourself praying. I think that's really interesting. What is scripture telling us? What is God wanting you to to walk away with as you understand that the end is near? Prayer has a way of elevating my heart and my mind and helping me to get the big picture in view. So you're walking through whatever you're walking through and you're, you're looking down at it and you're getting overwhelmed by it and prayer just has a way to lift you up above your circumstances and everything going on around you, anchor you into your future and your hope, anchor you into the fact that life is, is more than what it is right now in the moment. That makes sense? So he says, as the end's drawing near, you need to start to lean in in prayer. Get in tune with what's really going on. Prayer has a way of drawing my heart toward heaven and loosening my grip on the things of earth. It has a way of anchoring my thinking into a eternal and heavenly thinking. And right now, as the end is drawing near, I just, Scripture says, just lift your thinking in prayer. Be, be sober, be alert, don't get drawn in. Some of you need to disengage from watching all your news and all the opinions and all the what's going wrong and all that's going, and you need to get out of that. It's getting very unhealthy for your soul, and you need to get yourself anchored into, into what God has for you. The Bible says whatever is true and, and pure and holy, he says think on these things. So scripture saying the end of the day is coming. It's not freak out and run around, oh my gosh, and get out of bullhorn. No, he's saying, listen, just start praying. Get your heart engaged in heaven because this world is not your home. And when you're in prayer, it reminds you of that. This isn't your home. You're just passing through. Don't try to settle here. Don't try to get too comfortable here because you belong somewhere else. See, some of us, even in the church, we... We start to get so anchored in things of the earth that we forget about the fact that we are children of the king, that, that we have a kingdom that we're waiting for. That's why we named the church Citizens. Because I wanted you to always go I, go, to, I go to Citizens. Why? Because I'm a citizen of not this planet, but of something beyond this earth. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm anchored into eternity. Amen? And we, we need to walk that way. Our heads are held high. I've got an extra spring in my step. Yes, the end of the times is, is at hand and things are near. But I walk with my, you know, people will say, no, you can't be, don't be too heavenly minded. You'll be no earthly good. Come on, that is ridiculous. I say the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you are. You get yourselves heavenly minded. Amen? Come on, heavenly minded. We need to focus on and get our eyes on home. Second thing we need to do, Second Peter our first Peter goes on to say this, 1 Peter 4, love on some people. Isn't this interesting? <laughs> We're talking about the end times. And church just gets, and uh, scripture just gets super practical. He goes, it's the end times. So, above all, love each other deeply. God, what should I do? It's the end times. Go love somebody. Just love on people. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The end of all things is that near. What does he say to do? He goes, get your relationships in order. 
You need to love on some people. You need to stop letting those grudges that you're holding on to continue to be grudges you hold on to. Why? Because the end of all things is at hand, right? Jesus could come at any moment, and this little grudge you've been holding on to, that parent you've been talking to, that brother or sister that you've written off, those neighbors that are driving you nuts, and you, you close your garage before they even get on. Come on. He says, knock it off. You need to let grace rest on those things and you need to forgive people. You need to make some phone calls and apologize for things that you have said you haven't even done wrong. You know what I'm saying, everybody? Does that make sense? Like, what if you knew that it was happening tonight? That God the Father finally decided, all right, enough's enough, it's time. What would you do? Scripture says one of the things you need to do is make sure that those relationships, that you've been a good steward of the relationships God's given you. Like God gave you that relationship with that mom. God gave you a relationship with, that, with your father, with your brothers and sisters, with your, with your friends, your coworkers. God gave you those relationships and he expects you in those relationships to reflect the hope of the gospel through those relationships. So as, as the Holy Spirit here in scripture has the end times, in heart, carrying in times and heart and mind, his, his big push is, man, love each other deeply. Let your love cover a multitude of sins. Offer, offer hospitality. Start opening up your home even more to people. In the end days, we need to become all the more, man, there's just gotta be something real and raw within the church in the way that we're loving on each other, okay? It's not we're pulling away and we're, the end's coming, so we're just going to hold on. No, the end's coming, so we're going to let our lives love deeply. We're going to, I'm going to open my home. I'm going to, come on, I want you guys this week to be thinking of people that you're going to invite to church. You're thinking of young couples that, that are walking through stuff right now, and you know it, and you haven't taken the time to invest in them, maybe invite them over for dinner and help them. You do that this week. You get them over your house, and you, you invest in them, and you love on them. Let the Spirit of God nudge you into circumstances where the gospel will shine through you because we don't know how much time we have. Stop playing games and holding on to dumb little grudges. Love people deep. Help people. I was I was uh I was driving uh to here to the Fox to do some things yesterday to help out with a few things. And on the way here, I saw this car broken down the side of the road. And I'm not telling you all this because I'm I'm a great you go, oh Pastor Chris, you're just so great, right? I'm telling you this because I want you to know how real this is, right? Like, so I drive by this car that's on the side of the road and she's kind of parked in a really bad spot up there on by Crafton and she's gonna get hit. Like cars are flying by. So I drive by and this is how holy I am. I'm about a half a mile away <laughs> driving like, and God's going, go help her, go help her. I'm like, God, I gotta, I told John I'd meet him at the Fox and I, there's a lot I gotta do. And if I don't, I gotta get back to the house and I go, fine. I, I don't even get this guy, like, car started. I don't know what. Fine. I'll go help this lady. So I pull over. I put my car there. I put it on, blinkers on, and I go, and I go, and I pop her hood, and I start figuring out she's overheated. We let it cool down, turn the heater. Anyway, all that to say, this this poor lady barely speak English, and she's like, thank you, thank you, just crying, and thank you, thank you, just like, because she her phone doesn't work right there and couldn't make a phone call. She, it's just, and I got to walk in and, and just be a light to her. And always just go, hey, listen, I want you to know God loves you. And he sent me here to help you today. Get in my car, got her all started and drove up over the hill and did my part. I don't know what, 
the rest of that story is. I don't know where that's gonna go, but I know I played my part in that story. And, and it's just a nudging. And I could have kept driving, but I wouldn't have had a story to tell you about how great I am today, right? <laughs> Listen, let God, let God tell some stories to you. Like, just let him tell some stories because the end of time is at hand. It's not time to hunker down. It's time to open up all the more. Last thing, or two more. We'll do them fast. Make a difference. Make a difference. Here's what he says. Make a difference. End times. Goes on to say, First Peter tells us what to do in the end times. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should serve with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God will be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That is all written in the context of end times. It says, end times, here's what you do. Pray a whole lot, love a whole lot, and use the gift God's given you. Don't sit on it anymore. Like if, if you have been called to love on kids, you go love on kids. If you've been called to prophesy, which is to speak forth the word of God, he says, you start doing that right now. He, God is saying to his church, in the end times, I need the church hitting on all cylinders. Like we need to be doing what he's designed us to do. And we can't do what he's designed us to do if you're sitting on what he designed you to do. This is all in the context of end times. Why? Because we don't have a lot of time left. And if the church is going to reach a lot of people, then the church has to be hitting on all cylinders. So we lean into it. And here's the last thing is you grow in grace. And I will close here. Speaking of the end times, 2 Peter, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Since the end times is going to happen, how should you live your life? Since you ought to live, a, live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt with heat. I gotta share this with you. I'm so sorry. I know we're going. Do you know that that your body is made up of atoms and those atoms are being held together by what science just looks at and goes, cosmic glue, right? The Bible, they, like scientists call it cosmic glue. Scripture says that in Christ, he has created all things and that in him all things consist. In other words, God, uh, Jesus holds everything together. The atoms inside your body right now are not being held together by cosmic glue. It's God holding it all together. And when an atom bomb when we see the destruction of an atom bomb, what you're doing is literally you're letting an atom do what it naturally wants to do. They figured out how to do that. They disrupt the atoms and they do what they naturally want to do. Boom, right? It's interesting that here in the end days, it says that in that day, that day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with heat. It sounds a whole lot like God is just gonna say, okay, like done holding that together. It's wild to me that there are people walking around today being held together by the grace of Jesus, being given their next breath, and with that breath, they're gonna deny the very God that's holding them together. That's wild to me. It says, keep in mind this promise that we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to these things, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless at peace with him. If you are not at peace with him, I'm gonna give you opportunity to be at peace with him before you leave this moment. 
Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. He's being patient because he wants you saved. Lastly, last verse, do we have it? Is that working? Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of this lawless world and fall from your secure position. Last verse, he says this, but grow in grace. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Your job right now, grow in grace. What's grace? For you and I, believe it's everything. Grace is what washes me. Grace is what cleanses me. Grace is what empowers me and enables me to do everything God's called me to do. Grace meets you when you have fallen and picks you up. Some of you have found yourself in a place where you feel like you have messed up so much that there's no hope for you. I need you today to grow in grace. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And grace will meet you at the deepest point of your sin. It'll meet you there. It'll, grace will cleanse you. And then grace will walk with you forward and enable you to move in everything God's called you to do. So your job as we approach the end, just keep growing in grace. Tell your neighbor, say, grow in grace. Tell your next neighbor, say, grow in grace.